think progress writer Ian Milheiser may have committed a very serious crime, possibly even a sex crime. Or maybe he didn't. I'm just asking questions because Senator Dianne Feinstein told me to. Yep, this was an actual lead of a report from Milheiser at Think Progress, blindly insinuating that Judge Brett Kavanaugh is guilty of a sexual assault, thanks to an 11th hour statement from Senator Feinstein, due to, well, we don't exactly know. Feinstein won't say what the allegation is, what the evidence she has is, or who was even involved. Needless to say, there's been no external verification that it's even anything. Just late-breaking one Guardian report that says, According to the source, Kavanaugh and a male friend had locked a high school female classmate in a room at a party against her will, making her feel threatened, but she was able to get out of the room. Not exactly a Me Too allegation, even slightly. I have no other words. I'm Tiana Lowe. And I'm Avery Hogarth. This is the political pregame. Sit down and have a drink with us. As nearly everything except for the devastating murder of Botham Jean divides us, that at least we're all furious about, you'll need it. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. Uh, This week, we'll be talking about, obviously, this late-breaking story that's happened in regards to Kavanaugh and potentially Me Too allegations that are, at this point, unsubstantiated, um, that have been levied against him um, via Senator Dianne Feinstein. And then we're also going to be talking about um, the murder of Botham Jean, who was fatally shot in his own home by an off-duty police officer. Um, More to come on that later, but obviously it's just a heartbreaking topic to even discuss. But let's get right into it today on our first segment. So we were drinking screwdrivers at the behest of, I think we had a few people from Twitter suggesting screwdrivers today. Uh, Credit to Elliot Hamilton, who actually called me and was like, Tia, you have to do this. He always suggests the best drink I give. He's he's usually our mastermind behind a lot of them when we ask for good cocktails. So when this story with Kavanaugh broke, one of the rumors that we saw it was something involving him and another wo- and another woman, now woman, but at the time, high school uh, female. And people were insinuating that there may have been a sex crime, crime broken, as in, like, transporting a minor across state lines. That way you could consummate a relationship in a state where the age of consent is different. Because obviously in California, it's a strict 18. In a lot of other states... It's 18 with the Romeo and Juliet stipulation, meaning that a 16-year-old and an 18-year-old can consent to sex legally. Whereas in California, it's hard 18. Even if, from a very technical sense, a 16-year-old cannot consent to sex with an 18-year-old. Um, hence, screwdriver. However, the story does not even seem to be as dramatic as that. And quite frankly, if, if, if that were the story, I'd be more giving Kavanaugh a backslap for getting more action than half of us did in high school. Um... So the story is not even that intense, at least according to a Guardian report. Now, I'm going to start off this entire spiel or this entire block with just an aside and point out that if a well-researched story, something along the lines of the Washington Post report about Roy Moore or any of these Ronan Farrer, Jody Cantor stories comes out, if a credible story comes out that shows that Brett Kavanaugh at some point in his life is 
reasonably guilty of committing a sex crime or of committing a sexual assault or sexual harassment, I will completely withdraw my support for Kavanaugh's nomination. And I think that most sensible Republicans would. However, right now we don't even have a whiff of that. What we have is some of the most wildly irresponsible journalism and political grandstanding I have ever seen. So to back up with what the story actually is, because if you don't understand the minutia of it right now, Avery and I probably just sound like crazy people. So Diane Feinstein has allegedly possessed for months a letter um, that alleges possible sexual misconduct between Kavanaugh and a woman back from when they were in high school. Kavanaugh went to an all boys uh, high school um, in the eighties and not that that precludes obviously him having a girlfriend or him being in a situation with a girl, but just for background. So we know that it's not with a classmate. So the details themselves are extremely thin. We know that she has a letter that is from a woman associated with Stanford university who gave it to a congressman, who gave it, who gave it to a congresswoman who then gave it to Senator Feinstein, who's the top ranking Democrat of the Senate Judiciary Committee. And Feinstein's had this letter for months. And it's only been in the last day or two where she's given the letter to the FBI and issued a statement in which she, it's kind of, it's a, it's a very weird statement. This is what it says. I have received information from an individual concerning the nomination of Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court. That individual strongly requested confidentiality, declined to come forward, or press the matter further, and I have honored that decision. I have, however, referred the matter to federal investigative authorities. So, as of today, the FBI says they're not investigating this further. So, again, lots of sex crimes don't get investigated, but if something in this matter, the FBI's already been in hot water for for allegations of acting in a political manner. If there was any there there, wouldn't they be investigating this? So the big hoopla today is not only that Diane Feinstein did this, but that the Ian Milheiser piece that we were discussing at the top of this episode basically came out and says that Brett Kavanaugh has a mysterious Me Too problem, which is obviously a dishonest headline. The correct headline, and Avery and I were debating this before the show, would be what the New York Times roughly said, which is, Diane Feinstein refers letter to federal authorities regarding issue in Kavanaugh's past. Yeah, because that's the facts, right? Yeah. And so without the facts of any case, um, obviously, you know, you have to look at a discerning lens and everything's different in terms of the preliminary information that comes out about something. But yes, of course, that's a dishonest headline um for sure i've been seeing obviously there's been a ton of ton of criticism about feinstein bringing this matter um into the public eye given the fact that it's so late in the game in terms of confirmation hearings and everything like that uh however the other thing is just like we don't know the facts about what even went on with Kavanaugh and this lady, if anything even happened whatsoever, we also don't necessarily know the facts within what led to the decision making that occurred today in regards to reporting this to the FBI, what 
went on in that decision-making process um, within the Democratic Party and within the Senate to begin with. So those are just aspects to acknowledge our ignorance to right now, I guess, when talking about this subject and when also forming an opinion on it. Um, do I think the timing is a bit precarious if, you know, word comes out that Feinstein could have and should have done this much earlier, although we don't know what took place in terms of deliberations on, do we keep this quiet? I don't know. It's just a letter. She's not willing to come forward versus there's also the issue if they kept this quiet and then these allegations came out after Kavanaugh was confirmed, then the Democrats and namely Feinstein look like they have just been cooperating in a cover-up scheme. So I think it's kind of a catch-22. It's difficult. But then, okay, so let's, hypothetically, if I were Senator Feinstein, let's assume the worst, which is what Milheiser basically alluded to, which is you get a letter that says, either I was the victim or I was friends with the victim. I knew this girl in high school who was assaulted by Kavanaugh and either I personally am willing to go on the record as the victim or I, as a witness, am willing to go on the record saying that Kavanaugh did this thing that disqualifies him from a character perspective, from being a member of the highest court of the land. If you're Diane Feinstein, you take this letter directly to the FBI in July, not in the middle of September. And that being said, even if the individual involved who sent the letter didn't want to be identified, then you immediately, if, if, if you want to take this public, I think you take it to a journalist, you take it to the best in the business, you take it to Megan Toohey or, or the Hollywood Reporter, whoever you want, who's like the publications that have been heavily covering these sex crimes in the last year, you take it there, you take it to the FBI, you get a good report with due diligence to make it as watertight as possible. Again, I'm thinking about the Roy Moore Washington Post report as the gold standard, in which you have not only old allegations, women willing to go on the record, but also multiple friends corroborating their accounts at the time or within the next few years. Because otherwise, how does this read? One, Diane Feinstein is doing this now to delay the hearing because she realizes that Kavanaugh is going to be confirmed. Two, Kavanaugh has been an extremely prestigious judge in America for the last 20 years. I mean, even before he was on an appellate bench, he was, he worked for Ken Starr. He was a part of essentially the Clinton investigation. You're telling me that like at that, in that political moment, if there was any serious allegation against him, that it wouldn't have come up at any point in the last 20 years? Well, it's tough. Again, we don't know all the facts. I think what I was saying to Tiana when we were discussing this, po what to say on this podcast earlier, is that, you know, had, the, had these allegations or had this information come from any other senator in the Democratic Party, Bernie Sanders, whoever, I would have immediately jumped to malintent but because it's Senator Dianne Feinstein, probably, honestly, the only senator left in the Senate on the Democratic side that is truly willing to work with both sides, reach across the aisle. I mean, she's been quoted saying, we don't need any more rabble-rousers in the Senate. We need people who are going to be reasonable and compromise. And, and she has been, especially in the age of Trump and political polarization since 2016. She has been one of those more moderate 
reasonable voices to try to reach a compromise and try to ameliorate things. So that's why in this case, I still hold out a bit of benefit of the doubt. I think, of course, we're going to see more information come out on this. Um, and if you do want to take this was just, you know, a political filibuster kind of angle that she's taking in order to delay these hearings, then what's unfortunate is also the fact that when Democrats subpoenaed to get documents from uh, Judge Kavanaugh's tenure in the White House um, and get those made available, they were shut down every single time with down-the-line votes. And when you contrast that, and I read this actually um, in an NPR piece today, when you contrast that to Justice Kagan, when she was nominated um, by Obama, 99% of her documents when she worked um, with the White House were released, contrast to only 7% of Kavanaugh's documents released. So to be honest, maybe we wouldn't see this card played if it really is just that kind of political strategy angle. Had Republicans been willing to be more open and honest? But, okay, I think we can have grievances with other ways that this judicial process has gone and still acknowledge that this move by Feinstein, and especially, I mean, I'm, I don't disagree with you in the fact that Feinstein has been one of the few Democrats to not completely lose her mind to resist Trump. I don't know if it was just Kavanaugh getting to the nomination that broke her brain or if it's this perpetual fear of what's going to happen if Breyer or BG step down or pass away. But, I mean, speaking of RBG, even Ruth Bader Ginsburg in an interview condemned the democratic kabuki theater of this of this uh, present of this nomination process. She said that way it was right. The way it is is wrong. I wish I could wave the magic wand and have it go back to the way it was. Uh, as she lauded how truly bipartisan her nomination process was and how it was um, in decades ago and just saying that now it's, I mean, it's highly partisan. That's what she called it. And like, yeah, that's not a good thing for our country. So, I mean, when you think about it, Trump could have chosen someone a lot more radically conservative. He could have. And instead he chose Kavanaugh, who is probably the closest thing you can have to a perfect textualist mainstream superstar judge of the, unimpeachable character that we know of. At the same time, towards the end of Obama's presidency, when there was an open seat on the court, Obama did nominate a moderate judge that even Orrin Hatch, I, I said this on the podcast last week, but even Orrin Hatch was like, spoke the largest amount of praise for. And yet, that was thwarted at every single angle. And he made that appeal of a moderate justice um, to the Republicans to say, hey, like, let's not make this partisan. Let's just get someone in office. Uh, sorry, let's get someone on the bench who is going to do a good job, who has a great record full of integrity and can give us wins on both sides. And if anything, lean a little more conservative on some issues. And again, that was shut down. So I think partisanship when it comes to judicial nominations in the Supreme Court is not limited to just this one instance. And I think when that happened at the end of Obama's presidency, that was really a change in the tide for how 
these nomination processes go and probably will go moving forward because from the Democratic side, it's like, oh, you did this, you put up this fight, so now we're going to do it, and it's tit for tat. So next time there's a nomination that comes around, this is, we're going to see the same thing okay, happen. Okay, this is not the same thing as Cory Booker's dumb fuck I am Spartacus moment. This is accusing an innocent man, or at least highly insinuating that he is guilty of something as serious as sexual assault. And like, as anyone who's listened to this podcast more than once knows, Avery and I are both supporters of the Me Too movement. We are both believers in trust but verify as a standard and taking sexual assault and misconduct seriously. But to wield Me Too as a weapon against a completely innocent man, which is how it stands right now. Again, I will retract all, I will at least, I mean, I will retract my support of Kavanaugh 100% if it turns out that he actually did rape or harass someone. But right now we have zero evidence of that. Nothing. And the actual allegation itself, again, we're dealing with one Guardian report to even insinuate the contents, is not even remotely sexual harassment or assault. Not remotely. It's him being a high school jerk, maybe, at best. So do you think that the Democrats shouldn't have said anything? No. No, I think if they had actual allegations that they took seriously, they should have turned it over to the FBI, they should have given it to journalists, and had real journalists, the New York Times, not fucking think progress writing a smear piece but a real journalist investigate the claims see if they're credible and then write a piece i mean again like i think i have been fairly consistent on on believing credible reports of sexual misconduct regardless of the political affiliation of the person who did them i mean i'm pretty sure our first podcast was us just crapping on roy moore and obviously like he would have voted on policy that I agreed with, but he was a despicable human being. And with Kavanaugh, this is obviously a little bit different because right now he's not presented himself as like a despicable human being. And like, I generally like Kavanaugh a lot, but if there was a credible report with a decent amount of corroboration that I was inclined to think as more likely true than not true, of course I would withdraw my support. But right now we have none of that. Absolutely none. Right now we have someone who every single, I mean, we were, we were mocking with the reports about his childhood and what, what about his adolescence? They were saying it was like Yale daily news and the New York times and the associated press. They couldn't find anything to slam him with. He was keg city Kavanaugh. And again, I'm not saying that there's no way that this is possible, but at that same rate, someone could say Tiana Lowe, may be guilty of grand theft. I mean, we have no evidence, and it's not likely, but she could be. And that's just irresponsible. I'm sorry, I, I can't I can't do this I'm just asking questions thing. Not when it's this big. And especially when, especially on my side of the aisle, you have so many people, especially conservatives, ready to pounce on saying, Me Too is just partisan hackery. Women are just lying. They're just doing it for political motivation. What better way to the to confirm the beliefs of these people that I strongly disagree with than this story. Well, I think the one thing that we do need to know is even potentially more so than a report on if it does come out on what exactly happened with this alleged incident, but we do need to understand in order to actually make a definitive, a definitive ruling on whether this was appropriate or not. We need to understand what, the decision process was on the Democrat side of things. And I think with the outrage that's ensued as a result of these allegations coming out and, and this being brought to the FBI, I think hopefully we will see 
um, a report from the Democrats on, okay, how did we arrive at this decision? Uh, because I think that's really important in understanding what's going on here as well. Well, I mean, it just everything just needs to be released. I mean, I think the New York Times reports that the Democrats are now asking to see the contents of this letter and Feinstein's not budging because I think that she thought that she could come in be an eleventh hour resistance hero. And I mean, it's funny though; it's very uncharacteristic of her. It um, is. It is. I think something honestly in her brain broke. I mean, the woman's what, like eighty some? How old is she? I think she's uh, eighty four. She's eighty four. Eighty four or eighty two. I mean, at this point, I wouldn't be surprised if she was roughly senile. Honestly, like, I, I posted about this today in Twitter because I was just so angry, but I think I'm dead serious. I'll probably vote for Kevin DeLeon. I can't. I'm, I'm sorry. I can't. Like, this this stunt was just... It I was mean, so I think un- with Kevin DeLeon, you're going to get um, far, far more stunts than just this one. I mean, one don't pulled. get... Okay, here's the thing. Kevin DeLeon is obviously way more hard left, and I obviously disagree with that, but... I mean, I'm, I got it. See, wow. Diane Feinstein is making me defend Kevin DeLeon. I, I mean, if Kevin DeLeon, who knows? He might, okay. If he does something incredibly stupid before the election, like I will probably withdraw this, but like today, Ceteris Paribus, I would vote for Kevin DeLeon over Diane Feinstein. I'm sorry. This was so, I can't even overstate how reckless this was as a she wants to call herself a feminist jeopardizing the credibility of all the other women who have been able to come forward and be believed because of me too well hopefully we'll see the letter or the woman will come forward and i mean for feinstein's sake i hope that the letter had a lot of credible information in it um although it's only really the fbi and herself that have seen that so we we really don't know and so right now this is all speculation I mean, I will say, as everything stands right now, and again, I will retract it if more information comes out, we have one letter that she's failed to produce. The FBI, one of the only other people who who know the contents of the letter, are saying that they will not follow up on it. And they said it very, very quickly, which, again, I do not believe the FBI would be inclined to do and they're already being accused of politicizing the cases that they've been receiving. I don't think that they would let this one go if there was even a hair of credible evidence that they needed to investigate. And we have a Guardian report. And mind you, the Guardian is by no means a right-wing publication saying that the incident at hand is Kavanaugh being the most mild form of a jerk at a high school party in an allegation that in no way resembles a Me Too type situation. Yeah, and if that truly is the allegation and the incident that that occurred... Of course, I believe that to be something, a claim that goes on to discredit the Me Too movement. But I also want to question you on why do you think it is that Republicans will not release documents from Kavanaugh's time with working with the White House as like Democrats did for Justice Kagan when she was nominated? More documents documents have been released for Brett Kavanaugh than for any other nominated Supreme Court justice. Then what is the statistic then on the white on white house documents 99% of them being released for Kagan 7% of them being released for Kavanaugh and so for me it's just like i think republicans would have a much better argument to say that democrats are playing just below the belt political cards and and from a strategy perspective if they laid everything down on the table and we're like here you want to know everything here's everything to know especially because 
do I believe Kavanaugh to be a guy of good moral character and integrity? Yeah, sure, I do at this point. So if that's the case, then who cares about more openness and reciprocity? So Democrats submitted an additional 1,200 questions for him to answer. Kavanaugh, after uh, the hearing yesterday, and Kavanaugh returned responses to all 1,200. It's posted live on the Senate Judiciary Committee's website. The Senate Judiciary Committee repeatedly made documents available, and Democrats did not take advantage of it. I mean, we didn't even talk about Cory Booker's whole I am Spartacus stunt because too much time has passed since then, but... Cory Booker's whole I am Spartacus stunt was saying, I am violating the law releasing these documents. And they were public documents. They were documents that had already been released that morning. So I'm just saying, I think there's just so much grandstanding. It's, and I get it. It's because Cory and Kamala are trying to run for 2020. And it's because Diane Feinstein's brain broke or win. something. But like, I mean, we were just watching Carlson and Avenatti hashing it out, and honestly, I saw the future of our political discourse right there. I think, I think, I think Michael Avenatti has has more of a chance than Cory Booker or Kamala Harris. I mean, honestly. don't get me wrong. Obviously, I appreciate and acknowledge the fact that Kavanaugh has answered a ton of questions, but for me, I care less about the responses to those questions. Even you know the whole controversy over the fact that he might have confused. Um, birth control with abortion. I care less about the responses to those questions, which you can come up with on the spot, than I do about actual documents and understanding history because actions speak far louder than words. So that's why in terms of my perspective and I think a lot of people's perspective, I think even Republicans that are on the fence, wouldn't you want to see that? I like these confirmation hearings, yeah, you're right. They are political grandstanding. So let's see the stuff that isn't that. You know what I mean? So I mean We'll see what happens. I think tomorrow we're going to see just a whole watershed of new things come out um, on both sides in response to, to what's taking place today. So, I mean, yeah, I and mean, this whole thing was just a shit show. And again, I it bothers me less this like sort of vague, which I think is borderline dishonesty from the Democrats in terms of like the amount of documents that have been available simply because it seems, I mean, just the amount of tens of thousands of pages that have been made available and that have been declassified. That bothers me so much less than a female senator using the veiled threat of a false assault allegation to well, smear we don't the credibility. Again, sure again, again, I will, re I will retract that if I am proven wrong. But right now, all of the evidence that I'm seeing right now points towards this is beyond a nothing burger. I mean, if 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 the story plays out the way it seems like it's playing out, this makes Feinstein look just atrocious and Kevin DeLeon's entire ads. I mean, Kevin DeLeon could, could theoretically win the Senate race just by galvanizing the right and the far left in California against her. Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, at this point, he definitely has no shot, but... Who knows what we'll see. I mean, yeah. I'm definitely anxious to see what comes out tomorrow. And again, as I said, more information I would like to see on the decision-making process behind sending these claims over to the FBI. But let's move on to um, probably much more saddening news yeah. in terms of the fatal shooting of Botham Jean um, in his own home 
by an off-duty white female police officer. Uh, basically, what happened is she was an off-duty officer, lived in the same apartment complex as this man who was fatally shot by her, um, went to open his door thinking that it was hers. I, first of all, don't really necessarily know how you can go to the wrong apartment. But again, if that happened, sure. Opened his door, stepped inside, saw this man there, and fatally shot him to death. This is definitely, and it's been said by many people, the worst example and the worst incident of a white police officer shooting an African-American, I think that's happened in this country because, you know, it's one thing. Everyone knows if you're an African-American person that when you are out in a public place, you are at risk to get questioned by a cop for something bad to happen, to be in the wrong place, wrong time. But when is someone ever in the privacy of their home? When should someone ever be in the wrong place at the wrong time? So this man, Botham Jean, was in the wrong place at the wrong time by being in his own home and being walked in on by a police officer for no reason. And it's just absolutely heartbreaking. Um, I can't say that enough. I mean, I, I, have, I mean, I have so many questions. So one, what the fuck actually happened? Because right now there are two, there are two competing stories. So the official story is that when she walked to the apartment that she thought was hers, the door was slightly ajar when she pushed her key card into the door, because it's an apartment building that with key cards rather than physical keys. When she pushed her, her key card into the door, it opened up the ajar door, and Botham Jean was standing there. However, um, NBC5 reported that a Dallas police officer who was apparently in some way witness to the investigation immediately after the fact said that Geiger, uh, Amber Geiger, the cop who shot Botham Jean, had said initially that she put the key in and struggled with the lock and then put down the several things that she was holding and continued to fight with the key when the resident swung open the door and startled him. Geiger believed Jean... Start, startled her. Or startled her. Geiger believed Jean, who was only wearing underwear, was an intruder and shot him with her service weapon. Because all intruders come in and they're boxers. Yeah. However, this contradicts evidence that apparently a... a um, I guess a bystander who lived in another apartment or was nearby in the building heard her saying, let me in, which obviously contradicts this. Yeah, the story and, has changed And a if few you times. honestly thought that there was an intruder in your home and... Let's see, when she was booked, she's 5'3 and 130 pounds. I don't care if you're a cop. The whole point of being a cop is to de-escalate situations. If you think that there is an intruder in your home, don't you call a backup? Especially if especially if this is a large apartment complex and you reasonably believe that they can't get in and out through like the window. So none of this makes sense. None of this is consistent. And furthermore, so she says that she got off of a 14-hour long shift. I would be curious the time elapsed between the end of her shift and this incident and what her blood alcohol and what her blood alcohol content was at the time. Well, especially because if you reading numerous articles on this and um, listening to a lot of legal experts talk about this, a lot of people are saying in terms of a court of law, she does not fall under the defense of 
rightful force when you are a police officer because that's taken out of the case in this equation because she was not making an arrest, anything like that. So then she is looked at as a civilian in the court of law. And under Texas law, she can still have the defense of stand your ground if you re- if there if you were acting reasonably and had reasonable reasonable reason to believe that you were going to be killed or severely injured or someone else was now if you're going to apply the reasonability test to this i find that very hard and i i'm sure a jury's going to find that very hard to do because there are just so many questions no matter what story of the three to five that have come out you believe because if you really were using your key card and it wasn't working don't you look up at the door and go oh crap this isn't my apartment and when you hear someone on the other side of the door coming to let someone in who he probably believed to maybe be a delivery person or whatever when you hear someone fumbling with the handle on the other side and you believe it to be your apartment are you saying let me in or are you running the heck away and calling for backup because that's what a reasonable person would do. So yeah. you have to wonder what state of mind was she in and what were the motives behind this? And I mean, it's based on the way that not only the law itself is structured, but just how it naturally forms in terms of judicial precedent. There have been more and more cases of cops being exonerated on the grounds that they had a reasonable, they were within their rights to be fearful. You know, this is how the Philando Castile cop got off because like they said that, oh, it was reasonable that he was fearful. Use of force. Yeah. But at what point does there need to be a reevaluation of like, but also you need to be reasonably smart. You can't be so stupid to think that someone who just announced that they have a gun in the glove compartment and is saying that they're reaching for their license in their pocket is not reaching for the glove in their or for the gun in their glove compartment. At what point do you have to be smart enough? Do you need to have a functional IQ to realize that if you walk into an apartment where the doors open, where again, there are three situations. One is where the door is already open. Two is where you're fumbling with the key and then someone opens up the door for you. And then three in which you are shouting let me in thinking that there's an intruder in your home and by the way all of the situations you have your the guy has his boxers on and everything in the apartment isn't yours yeah and then you shoot them you don't think i'm gonna call back up i it's and and again it just also comes down to i mean outside of like my parental home i've lived in five different apartment buildings maybe six in like my life and there has never been a night so late, either from the library or from a party or whatever, where I have even questioned whether or not I've been walking into my own apartment. What state of mind do you have to be in to not walk into your own apartment? Do you, what, do you have to be blacked out on alcohol? Like what, like, what does your mental condition have to be? Do you have to be like sleep deprived for 48 hours? Because I've done that too. And I've never had a problem finding my own apartment building. Well, what's especially unfortunate though is if this was a regular civilian that just happened to uh, be concealing and carrying a gun, which totally fine. If they happened to be walking into what they believe to be their own apartment and it was the wrong one. And under all of the 
stories that we've heard of this scenario, if they were to do this, we would not even be questioning whether it was proper use of force or not, because we would be saying, absolutely, at the very least, this person should be convicted of manslaughter. But the fact that this person who fatally shot this guy, the fact that she's a police officer, the fact that that's even coming into the equation of, oh, well, maybe she was within her rights to do that, even though she, she wasn't was an making, even though she was an invader, he could have stood his ground with yes. her. That would have made a lot more sense, even though she was an invader and she was not performing an arrest on him. That, that shouldn't even be coming into the conversation. It should be moving on to, wow, she killed this guy. Next question, how many years in prison? I mean, so she's out on, what, $300,000 bail uh, and has been charged with manslaughter. But honestly, I've been reading from experts far more uh, well-versed in the law than I am who are saying that under Texas law, there seems to be a, re a reasonable case that she that the charges get upgraded to murder simply because manslaughter has to imply that there was a that there was recklessness or an accident of some kind. When you're an officer, you shoot to kill. That's the only reason why you escalate a situation like that. It's so I mean, even and if you're an officer, you should not be recklessly firing your weapon. No, no. So I'm so, I mean, again, lawyer listeners of the podcast, like, please correct us if we're wrong. But to me, it seems that if you're an officer, you learn how to shoot to kill. You walk into your apartment, even if you believe that it is your apartment. If you see someone burglarizing your apartment in their boxers and they don't seem to have a weapon on them, they're not charging towards you. And nothing in that apartment if is yours. If <laughs> you aim a weapon at, weapon at them and fire to kill, I fail to understand how that's not murder. How was that manslaughter? And her defense also was that, well, he wasn't obeying my orders, so I shot and killed him. No crap. If someone walked into my apartment right now with a gun, I would... I wouldn't even be. We throw your crystal glasses at them. In, in the heart of my own home, when I'm in my underwear, I would not be thinking, "Oh my gosh, wait, wait, and listen to hear what they're saying." Yeah. I'd be going, "Holy cow! Why does someone have a weapon pointed at me in my own home?" So, for of course he didn't obey her orders. It's just yeah. it's ridiculous, and I hope for the family of Botham Jean that they find justice. I think, especially in. Texas court of law, another encouraging sign is that we talked about this on the podcast a few weeks ago, that there was another officer um, who was convicted uh, for fatally shooting an African-American man in Texas. So maybe things are leaning more to that side. I think regardless of the Black Lives Matter movement, regardless of all the rhetoric in the past couple of years that has surrounded um, police brutality and the criminal justice system, um, I think regardless of any of that, this should absolutely be looked at as a murder because the facts just suggest that that's what it is. Yeah. And in a weird way, how this almost intersects with the whole Kavanaugh story, one of the things that I've, that I have been urging conservatives to realize in their analysis and in the opportunity of the Me Too movement and in very eager liberals who are excited to jump into this movement that it's important that it doesn't become politicized because that's how 
you stop being able to enact widespread and effective policy. Because what happened to Black Lives Matter, something that, again, the statistics are very complicated because it seems, because, again, there are people who are better experts at this than I am. But it, the, the evidence that I have looked at seems that, statistically speaking, black men are not targeted or shot more by the police when compared to the relative share of the criminal population. However, that does not mean that it is not a legitimate concern to American society that cops are still shooting black men and white men and women and getting away with it. So Black Lives Matter, which is something that I am obviously on board with inserting more checks and balances into the police. And I'm even willing to acknowledge that that perhaps there is an implicit bias that I never see because I'm a white woman or white passing or ethnic, whatever you want to call it. There's something that I never see in terms of, I mean, I have a friend who's black who said that she got pulled over by the cops like 15 times in high school and she never speeds. And almost every African-American person that I've talked to has a story like that. So I'm not denying that, that that bias isn't real, especially in I think specific parts of the U S however, where black lives matter messed up was asking the question, do black lives matter or do all lives matter? Because the answer is both, obviously. A reasonable person can say police brutality of all kinds is a pro- uh, police brutality of all kind kinds are it's problematic. It perhaps must be emphasized that black people maybe bear a statistically significant portion of that of that burden. But Black Lives Matter, of course, became so hotly political. I mean, BLM officially as a movement also advocates for like the BDS of Israel and of expanding like Medicare for all and free college and all these things have nothing to do with police brutality. So, you know, after Obama's presidency ended and, you know, with Trump and things are sort of on the back burner more, we've been focusing more on these specific cases, talking about talking about Philando Castile, talking about Walter Scott, and now talking about Botham Shem Jean. And I think it's been very heartening for me to see a lot of conservative writers that I've always admired pointing out that yes, perhaps this is like, we, we must focus on the specific policies that can be encouraged to prevent these sorts of killings. And what I would urge the left to do is not do what Dianne Feinstein just did with this Kavanaugh case and start using this as attack all cops as pigs, use this to attack Trump supporters, but instead acknowledge, you know what, maybe we can make more headway in the same way that I've always said, like, I mean, we were talking about this, I believe it was last week when we were discussing Colin Kaepernick and Nike. And I was just saying, if he had been using it to enact or to raise awareness of federal body plan legislation, that's something I would totally be in support of. But to use it as this broadly political battering ram to attack your opponents, that's not very effective. And I think that if anything can be taken out of this, this, this is a senseless tragedy. You know, this did not have to happen. This is because Botham Jean from all the evidence that we have right now was murdered in cold blood. His, he was, his home was invaded and he was murdered in his underwear in his own home. If anything good can come out of it, maybe there can be a bipartisan understanding, acknowledgement and effort to enact legislation to reduce these sorts of shootings. Absolutely. Because I don't think the murder of African-Americans is partisan at all. It should not be a political And so it shouldn't be. And the thing is, even with Black Lives Matter promoting things more on the leftist agenda, 
at the end of the day, at the root of why the movement started in the first place was because of police brutality. So address that then. But nothing substantial at the federal level, at least, has really been addressed to do that. I know there's been um, some initiatives in California just because with us living here, we are obviously in the loop more on that. Um, But this is something that really needs to be taken care of. And the thing is, no one should have a special interest in this other than the interest of making sure Americans are safe regardless of skin color and that they're not murdered and that police officers can be looked at again as a friendly, safe sign in the the community, not one of fear and mistrust. So I hope things get done in that regard. But again, I think we'll be following both this Botham Jean case and um, obviously the stuff that's happening with Feinstein and Kavanaugh closely within the next week to see to see what's going on there. Yeah, I mean, talk about Mattis. And the, we, there's so many things we didn't touch because this podcast is coming a bit late because I just got back in town. But um, I'm sure stuff will get crazier and crazier. And if you guys get a chance to uh, burn some brain cells and watch Tucker Carlson and Michael Avenetti, uh, you should, if only because... It's like Jerry we, we, Springer. We have to become used to used to this reality and the stupidity and might as well have fun while we're doing it. You know, just break out the bourbon and watch a uh, Tucker Carlson discuss how he likes humiliation porn that actually happened tonight. So, yeah, I don't know if we have to become used to it, but at least we can take the humor as it comes and find it where it exists. Find so. something to enjoy in this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, well, as always, you can follow us on Twitter at Tiana, the first and at Avery Hogarth, um, toss us a like, or a review or a comment on either of our sites that we stream on, SoundCloud or iTunes, and then check us out at thepoliticalpregame.com. Thank you. Mm-hmm.